everyone. In this episode of HubShots 289, we talk about using Service Hub for internal business processes, our ticket pipelines, the real operations hub, reminder about enabling betas, how to use Service Hub for lead qualification process, and saving your time with inline editing. My name is Ian Jacob from Search and Be Found, and with me is Craig Bailey from Zen Systems. How are you, Craig? Oh, really well. And yeah, I really love this topic that we're covering today uh, around automation, really, enabling business automation. It's a follow-on from our episode last week, Ian. All right. And what's our growth thought of the week, Craig? All right. So you know how this operations hub yes. in HubSpot? I don't think people know what that is, except for a few extra actions. So there's confusion I think HubSpot missed an opportunity here because I think Service Hub is actually a better candidate for being your operations hub because increasingly, and this is what we're going to talk about in the show, companies are using ticket pipelines to manage a whole bunch of business processes. And as we looked at last week, this whole automation piece that really unlocks in pro, I think Service Hub is increasingly where we're seeing it. And we're going to go through some scenarios that we've some of our clients are using and I'm like, oh, wow, you're doing sales processes in tickets, not deals. I wonder why that is. We'll chat through that because it's actually perfectly valid. And it got me thinking about the whole automation suite that they've got. And if you get the show notes, you can kind of see this breakdown per hub, marketing hub, sales hub, service hub, operations hub. I think there's an opportunity in the operations hub side for HubSpot to offer some kind of new pipeline, not ticket pipeline, but maybe they call it processes pipeline or operations pipeline. They're special kind of pipelines geared around business processes. They probably have a bunch of new actions, maybe a bunch of new triggers. You know, Operations Hub says you can trigger by a webhook. There'd be other triggers. I think a lot more focused on integrating with other systems. And so just bringing that out, I kind of feel that's where Operations Hub is probably going. I have no inside knowledge on this, of course, but in the interim, Companies are using Service Hub and Ticket Pipelines for that. We're going to chat about it, but I just feel that tickets, because people hear tickets, it psychologically limits you to thinking, oh, just customer service processes. In this episode, our whole goal is to say, no, your entire business processes, think about them. What can you use Service Hub for and Service Hub Pro? It's interesting, Craig, because you you and me both have clients and we both kind of stumbled upon as we were talking and sharing with each other. It's like, hang on, we've got customers doing that too. And that's what kind of spurred this episode. Hey, by the way, did you know that last week when we recorded, that was our seven-week anniversary? You mean seven-year anniversary, Craig? Why did I say seven weeks? <laughs> seven years. Yeah, seven years. First episode went live in October 2015. Wow. Time flies in. And it's been good, I have to say, Craig. So uh, thank you to you for staying the path and sticking with it and keeping, you know what? I've been so grateful. So listeners this week, it's been a little bit crazy at home and Craig has done a lot of the heavy lifting. So I am very grateful that A, we support each other and B, we carry each other's weights when the other one can't carry it. So thank you. It's good that I can occasionally return the favour. It's normally you doing the favours for me, Anne. But, you know, thanks to our listeners as well, because some of them have been with us since episode one. Correct. There are still uh, some listeners, so thank you. Shout outs to you. But let's get into some quick shots. Back to our usual format, by the way, this week. I know the last couple of weeks have been a bit unusual, but yeah, back to our usual format. All right. So one of the first ones you probably want to know is having the CRM record overview. And I'm really excited about this as I've shown customers 
and they've experienced it, they're like, wow, this could be a game changer. So look out for that. And you've got to enable that in the beta in your portal. And you've got to be a super admin to do that. And we'll go more into that in a second. A reminder, inline eighteen across contacts, deals, companies, tickets, being a massive time saver. So you just need to be aware that this is now rolled out and you should be using it. And if you've got sales teams, tell them to use it because it could save them Actually, loads of time. you know on this, I've seen this rolled out to some portals, but it's still beta for others. Oh. So I don't know. So maybe by the time you're actually watching this episode, dear uh, viewer or listener, it's just in your portal. But yeah, it's not available for some, but then others, it's like, yeah. So I'm not quite sure, but we're going to do that in shot two. We'll actually expand on that. All right. And the next thing there is customer journey analytics. And this looks interesting and we're still trying to work out everything, but we've enabled it to make sure that it's collecting the data. We've got HubSpot's GTM integration now supports GTM's consent mode which I didn't know, Craig. So that cookie banner accepts now can be sent to GTM. Yeah, I'll just talk about this. This is a big update. I don't think people realize how significant or useful this is. So previously you had HubSpot cookies. Great. Oh, do I accept cookies or not? Sure. All that impacted, like all that controlled was your actual HubSpot cookie. So if you said no, a decline, it wouldn't insert the HubSpot cookie. It wouldn't control any of the other cookies. But now, because of their integration with GTM, which actually supports that consent mode programmatically, the HubSpot one, if you say no decline cookies, it pushes that through to GTM. So if you've got GTM pulling in a whole bunch of other cookies, they will be declined unless cookie consent has been um, given. So that's quite nice. Solves a big headache before. So that's quite nice. But the other thing that we say is we just don't even show cookie consent banners in Australia. It's not a requirement and most people don't need to. Your mileage may vary. All right, and the next tip is from HubSpot support from Leeway. And it's something that we knew about, but we were testing it out. And it's about adding the column in your list that says added to list date. So you can see when someone was added to the list. And so this seems to be one of those things that has made a big difference to people. So well worth it. It's called, it shows up as an advanced property on your list columns. So you can add that. So shout out to HubSpot support because we, I love HubSpot support. This is a cracker of an update. We were chatting before, like, can you trigger a workflow on this? I'd love to know that. And actually, can you filter on it in lists? You can show it in lists, but uh, that's something that I'll be checking out. You tried to filter, right, Craig? And it didn't work? I haven't looked at filtering yet. Oh, you didn't look at filtering. I was adding it to a list view, very handy. For example, registrations for an event. Quickly check when were they added. Oh, so I can see they registered for this, you know, two weeks ago. That Very handy. But I'd love to know whether we can filter. Oh, just show me the ones that registered. Yes. So we'll see. Well, you assume a property is available, so you should be able to filter on it. But who knows? All right, here's the enabling betas reminder. So you need to be a super admin, and then you need to go up onto the top right, go to product updates, and you'll see all the betas available. Then you can either join it as for your user or for everybody in the account. So just be aware of that, the entire account or just for yourself. So some of our bigger accounts, we have encouraged people to enable it for themselves to test it before they roll it out to everybody else. All right, so which betas should you enable, Craig? Look, I think it depends on your change management processes. So for us, we're an agency, we're using HubSpot all the time. Everyone in the company knows HubSpot. We just enable every beta for everyone. Should most companies do that? I don't think so. I think super admins should selectively enable a few that they think are going to add value for their business. So they do it for themselves first. They test it. 
And then if it is compelling, like inline editing, just enable it for the company. I think that's great. But also there's communication. A lot of what enterprises, you need to have a communication process so that everyone knows they don't get shocked by it. Uh, but then, look, they're going to roll out anyway. So people, people kind of worry, oh, I don't want changes for the team. Well, it's like it's going to happen anyway. So get ahead of that. So test it, maybe highlight features and communicate it. So, yeah. And don't be afraid. I think like, for example, the inline editing was one of the ones where everybody that we have shown it to and enabled it have been so grateful because they're like, this is going to save me so much time. So test, measure and enable, I say. All right, on to our marketing feature of the week, Craig, inline editing. Well, let's just chat about it. We, we talked about it. it's one of these beaters. It's really good. Uh, just added a screenshot here so that uh, if you've got the show notes, you can see what's included. It's it's essentially turning those views that are list-based, not board-based, into edit in line like you can in Excel. I, I kind of describe it as, yeah, it's the Excel experience in views. So really handy. You can just uh, click on fields, uh, and if they're read-writable, you can change them. Anything that's read-only, you can't, obviously. And I think yeah. the, the big thing here is making sure you've got those views in your contacts, tickets, deals, and what you want to see because it makes the inline editing experience so much better. So the better you get at creating those views makes the inline editing really good, especially for sales. Anybody that's time poor, this is a real key time saver. All right. Sales feature of the week, Craig. Association labels. We're going to talk about the pros and cons of them. Yes. I think association labels is one of these features that people have put in the too confusing category for now, so they haven't looked at it. I want to highlight what the benefit is, especially for uh, workflows and automation, and then also mention what a problem that still exists. Firstly, association labels, what are they? They're a way to set an association between two objects. For example, contact and a deal. So a contact has a deal, might have multiple deals, but on one of the deals, you set an association label. In most of the examples you see, they talk about things like, oh, decision maker, influencer as an association label for that, you know, that contact with that particular deal. So you can look at a contact and say, oh, they're an influencer on these deals or they're a decision maker on these deals. Okay, that's fine. Another use case, which I think is more compelling, is when you want to selectively update some deals associated with a contact as part of a contact workflow. So I'll give you an example. Let's say you've got a number of products that you're selling at your company. You've got a contact and they've got two deals, one for product A and one for product B. They go to the website and, and maybe those deals are just kind of initial discovery stage. They go to the website and they fill out, I want a one-on-one demo with product B. So that's a form submit essentially against the contact. And you're like, oh, great. That means product B has moved along from just interest to maybe purchase intent. Let's see. How can you automate just updating just that associated deal from the contact form submit? You want to update that deal and move it along a pipeline stage. You can't at the moment because if you try and update the associated deals, by default, you'd update all of the deals. But with association labels, you could have a association on the deal. You could say, oh, this is a product A deal. This is a product B deal. And you could say, I'm going to update any deals that have an association of product B. So I've got an example here in the show notes about how you can selectively update, say, deals against a contact based on association labels. 
And so you'll get something like this in your workflow. So that's very handy because we're finding this increasingly. This is the problem. I've got a contact with multiple deals or multiple tickets. How do I use a workflow just to update a few of them, not all of them? Association labels are the answer to that at the moment. Okay, so that's great. What's the problem? The problem here is that you can't actually automatically set association labels on deals or associated objects. You've got to do it manually. So that means if you are disciplined enough and when the deals the deals have been created, you may need to go through and set association labels, then this will work in workflows. But what we're crying out for, and in fact, if you look at the community threads on it, people are begging for this. They just want on the workflow when you create a deal, because quite often the deal is created from a contact workflow. This contact filled out a form, great, automatically create this deal. We want to set association labels at that time. If we could do that, that unlocks an enormous amount of efficiency on updating and keeping your deals in check. So just want to highlight that. I think this is a big feature for sales. It applies to tickets and other areas as well, but particularly deals is where we're seeing this. Once they've fixed this, and the good news is that feature is being reviewed so that you can add association labels automatically as part of workflows, the unlock here is going to be really handy. So you know what's interesting here, Craig, is the scenario we've come across is association labels for, let's say we've got a customer that's a conveyancer and they've got a deal where they're doing the conveyancing. So they've got the customer and then they've got an association with the, like the real estate or the, the person who's giving the contract or the lawyer. So there are these different associations. That's kind of how we've start to use it. Or, you know, there are associations with building managers for people that are building and who are outside of the organization so that they keep a track of, hey, here's the person we need to talk to to get this stuff done that's related to this deal. So yeah, it's it's interesting. Slightly different. Right. So you're actually going back from the other way. You might have a deal workflow or a ticket workflow and you only want to contact a certain number of associated contacts. Not all the associated contacts, just few. Again, association yes. labels there be really handy. So, but that's the problem. You've got to manually add those associations. But you know what? This is a great start. I have to say it is a great start. All right. Let's talk about our service feature about using ticket pipelines for contact qualification process. This is such a strange idea when you first hear about it, but when we explain it, it'll make sense because a number of clients, we'll chat about a few of the scenarios in this shot, Using ticket pipelines to qualify leads, they're not creating deal pipelines. And we'll explain why in a second. But what might happen is a contact fills out a form that create uh, showing intent that goes, creates a ticket. The kind of early stage lead qualification team use the ticket. They might call them, then they qualify them, and then they go yes or no. And then they'll update the lifecycle stage. And that's the important piece. Because if you create a deal, by default, you're pushing the life cycle stage to opportunity. And we're finding that companies don't want to do that. They might use tickets essentially to manage the change of those life cycle stages based on their activity with the contact. Whereas a deal, straight to, uh, straight to opportunity. So why is this a problem? Well, the problem happens when they're using another CRM for most of their solution selling. So they're using Salesforce or Dynamics or another CRM. They're not actually doing the deal pipeline process in HubSpot. They're doing all the marketing and pre-sales in HubSpot and qualification. The actual sales process is often something else. Maybe because they had Salesforce as a legacy situation, 
maybe for a variety of reasons. So we've had two situations with clients on this. Probably the most complex one has been around a client with Salesforce doing this complex qualification processes because their particular product is a one to two year sale. So they do a whole lot of pre-qualification before it goes over to sales and they're using ticket pipelines to manage that. And then at a point sets them to opportunity, which then pushes them up to Salesforce. The Salesforce sync actually pushes that back down at an opportunity and creates the deal in HubSpot because that's part of the Salesforce connector. And from there, it's actually linked to the contact. So it's quite nice. So Having explained that process now, it's like, oh, yeah, that does make sense. But I'm pretty sure if you hadn't come across that a couple of minutes ago, you would have been saying, oh, that's weird. Why aren't you just creating a deal at the start and manually setting the lifecycle stage back to sale, uh, sales qualified or marketing qualified? That's the reason. And it's actually a lot more complex than that in, in practice. But that's the scenario in a nutshell. So this got me thinking, like, this is becoming increasingly common. And it's not just... Um, sales processes, there's other business processes happening on uh, as well. Um, working with finance, pricing modeling, and things like that, all being managed in Service Hub tickets. So, But I know you've had a similar scenario as well, Ian. So the example here is a customer that has been putting on events and they've got attendees and they've got speakers. And so they have people applying to be speakers and they manage the speaker approval process in a ticket pipeline as it travels along. So it's very fascinating how they're utilizing it to do that. And so they were managing the process. It was coming into HubSpot, then they were managing it in Monday. And then there was a, this disparity that people couldn't see what was good. People in the business couldn't see across the board what was happening. So they moved all of that process into a ticket pipeline. So now they can see, okay, well, we've approved the speaker. Okay, now we need to get their bio and picture. We need to get them on the podcast. We need to get the materials together. We need to get an article written. So all of that process is being managed in HubSpot now and they all have full visibility of how that person's traveling through. And they can trigger things off because now people can say, oh, they haven't done that. Let's get make sure that there's a trigger that tells us that they need to submit their bio and their pictures, et cetera. It's interesting you mentioned monday.com. We're coming up against monday.com a fair bit. Now, I know you use Monday internally for yes. project management. What we're and so I'm not when I say we're coming up against Monday. What I mean is we're seeing clients use Monday as a CRM for processes that should just be yes. in HubSpot as service tickets. Exactly that situation you highlighted. Not saying don't use Monday, but don't use it for those things that you could be using Service Hub tickets for. It's a much better solution. By the way, just some things though to to consider comparing, say, ticket pipelines to deal pipelines. There are pros and cons. And one of the pros of tickets is you've got this baby version of SLAs if they've come in via a conversations channel, conversation inbox channel. So that can be compelling because you can have some SLA properties. It's kind of a little bit rigid, not as flexible as I'd like, but it is the start of an SLA uh, solution, which is nice. The con though is there's not really dollar amounts against tickets. So if you're trying to do things like forecasting or those kind of totals of amounts on pipeline stages, you won't get that if you're using ticket pipelines. But if you've not got a focus on dollars in this pre-sales thing in terms of forecasting and that, then maybe tickets are, are fine. So yeah, really the summary of all of this and what we started in shot one is talking about using Service Hub for your business processes. This is just a few examples. There's plenty more and uh, we, could, we, could spend, <laughs> we could spend hours talking about the different scenarios, but that's it. 
All right. Uh, data confidence shot of the week, Craig. Well, we kind of touched on this with your events um, piece. But yeah, actually, you had another example, which is tracking contacts moving between companies as well. That's right. So what we were doing was when someone was leaving or had we sent them an email and then we get that nice uh, hard bounce back saying unknown user, we then were using tickets to manage the process to do the process to actually verify, A, where have they gone? What are their new contact details? Should someone reach out and connect with them on LinkedIn? Then maybe start, maybe once that process takes place, is there an opportunity for them to sell their membership or their services into this new business that the person has moved to? So it's a way of keeping a contact clean but also cleansing them along the process so we don't Mm. lose valuable data because if they are a high-value contact in one business, they're probably going to likely be that in the next business. Yeah. You you know, a quick summary of this because I I feel that people used to do a lot of this process by custom properties on the contact. They'd create a custom property with a drop-down of things like a follow-up, check if they're on LinkedIn, all of this. And really what we're saying is, no, let's make it a little bit more formalized as a process, make it a ticket pipeline process. You can create multiple pipelines. So, oh, here's the one left company follow-up process, bang, assign it. You can have uh, tasks, reminders, all that kind of thing. So, yeah, ticket pipelines. I'm telling you, folks, this is your business process. Unlocked. All right, uh, inside of the week, Craig, they ask you answer. And so I've been listening to the audiobook and the revised version. I know you've read the book, but you know what? I think every business needs to read or listen to this book. I agree. And you know why? Because it's one of the things that after you read it, you go, yeah, of course, this is so obvious. And as I've mentioned uh, in the show notes, it's like, that's a good sign for me. When you look at something in hindsight, yeah, of course, that's obvious. It probably indicates a foundation of truth to it. And I think that is the case of the book. By the way, if you read the original version, make sure you get the revised version, which came out, I don't know, a couple of years ago. But I'd read the first one when it first came out and then the revised version I felt was um, really a good, a worthy revision. But look, there's a little process that highlights and you've been doing this. Let's break it down. Yeah. Here. So let's think about some simple business process, right? So one of the things that we were discussing with customers is over the next month, make a list of every question you're asked by prospects and customers. So this could be technical, it could be sales related, it could be operations related or service related, note them down in a spreadsheet or a document that everyone has access to. At the end of the month, then categorize it by marketing, sales, customer service. So we now know where it falls into. Third thing, mark the quick questions that are commonly asked and candidates can document the answer. And I would actually make this a company-wide thing that people participate in. So it's not just marketing or sales, but everybody participates. Then write a simple knowledge-based article for each of these questions. And remember, getting it done is better than perfect. So get a start on that. And then to really help people in the business is create snippets and templates for these questions that link through to knowledge-based articles where people can easily share the answers to the questions that people are having. So you, you can do that. Now the follow-on from this is you could then create a bot I think we might have that in the show notes, is to create a bot and then get people interacting with that to get the answers that they need. But here are the big benefits, right? Think about your search optimization, the articles that you'll rank for and how competitive it is in your industry. But 
you're putting more content. So I often say it's it's a digital asset, right, Craig? We talked about this, but building digital assets. The better you can do this, the better the longevity is of your business and the ability to draw people in. It also creates efficiency for your team because you're saving time in those responses. Like I just couldn't imagine doing this, talking about the same thing over and over again and everybody making their own flavor and version of it. And then the next thing is effectiveness. Your prospects and customers get to know you better and it becomes a source of knowledge and value to them. So I know Craig has often said, and when he tries a product out, he looks at the knowledge base. He reads everything in there. How does it operate? What does it work? Where are the things you need to look out for? And that kind of helps him make up his mind about buying a particular product. So think of that in your business. I want to make a comment about these benefits. And and by the way, we should just kind of to summarize from the book, there's a whole bunch of ideas, but one of the ideas is, yep, the title is They Ask, You Answer. It's kind of like customers have questions, just answer their questions. So it, it's kind of obvious, but then he breaks it down into, yep, here's to go about. He has a whole bunch around video marketing, yes. a whole bunch of other things, but this is just one of the uh, topics he covers. But there's those three benefits you mentioned, SEO benefits, uh, efficiency and effectiveness. I want to say the first one, SEO benefits, is overplayed because if you're in a competitive industry, sure, you'll create a knowledge base. You're not going to rank for it, frankly. Competitive, someone else is already ranking for it, so don't focus on that. Yeah, sure, it's useful and you might get a bit of extra traffic. That's not the benefit. The benefit is the second two. Efficiency because your team is more efficient and consistent. So if we've got an answer for that, yep, here it is. And then effectiveness, as you said, the customers just get a much better experience. It's about the value you give your customers. And of course, then uh, you're providing a premium service at that point. So look, Impact Plus have a whole program around this and training programs. So I've got a link to that. Uh, but yeah, answer all the questions. There you go. All right. What's sunsetted, Craig? Or what is about to sunset, I oh, should quote say. Templates. Quote templates. Well, at the end of the year, I think there are those original templates just I uh, think you've got to move over. But look, just use the new templates. They're so much better. And there's here's one reason why you can have your own domain on the new templates. Ah. That, that's enough said. Okay. Yeah. Just use your own domain rather than that, you know, that HubSpot, yes. uh, you know, quote thing. That, there's no other reason why you should upgrade, but there are actually tons Correct. of others. It's drag and drop, flexible and all that. So just move it over. All right. Thought of the week, Craig. Should I use knowledge-based articles versus a blog post? Which is, which is a common question we get asked all the time. It is a complex question. I'm giving you three simple things to think about. What versus how? What's the purpose of the article? Second, how do people consume it? And then thirdly, do you want it included in chat flows? So what versus how? Here's a general rule of thumb. It's not the rule of thumb. It's just something to think about. If it's what to do, strategy, guidance, that kind of thing, put in a blog post. If it's how to do it, implementation, tactical pieces, answering questions, knowledge-based article. Can you have them in both a blog and a knowledge? Yeah, sure. That's not out of the question. And sometimes people write blog posts, which are kind of a collection of knowledge-based articles. They call it, oh, here's the most common questions we've had. And they wrote a blog post about it. Normally links off to knowledge-based. That's a pretty good approach. But here's the second consideration, consumption. People subscribe to a blog. They don't normally subscribe to a knowledge-based and the reason for that is because if they did, they'd be getting tons of articles every time. And a lot of those articles are specific and not relevant. Whereas a blog is probably a bit more high level strategic, that kind of thing. So you'll subscribe to it. 
Now, does that mean you can't write a blog post with a big how to do something? No, of course you can do that and plenty of companies do. But I'm just saying, is it just something to consider? If you're writing tons of little knowledge-based articles but writing them as blog posts, someone's probably going to subscribe and go, no, this is too much. It's not efficient use of my time. So consumption is the second thing. But then the chat flow one, which you highlighted before, Ian, around knowledge base, it flows on from that they ask you answer. It's like in HubSpot, you can create these knowledge bots. And you've been doing this for clients, right, Ian? So well worth it if you're not utilizing that in Service Hub. Yeah, got a few examples. We've got our own knowledge base and how we use the knowledge bot as well. All right, quote of the week. So there's two quotes this week. One that I love a lot, and it's success is making those who believed in you look brilliant. And this is from Damesh Shah, one of the co-founders of HubSpot. I think we've featured this on the show we a number have. of times. Great I just quote. thought it was apt for this week. Yeah, good reminder. And, and the second one is enjoyment is an incredible energizer to the human spirit. And this is from John C. Maxwell. And you've got a little bit of throwback picture there, Craig, of Moby from... Red Pandas and Inbound Buzz. Yeah, this is from Inbound 2016 because on my iPhone, I've got this little photos thing yes. widget on the home screen, which just shows me photos from previous years and things. It's great. This one came up. There's Moby looking very cool in front of the blackboard at HubSpot HQ when we were in there at Boston, Boston 2016. That's right. Well, listeners, There is a Service Hub training, so we encourage you to do that. And we have actually gone in-depth in Service Hub in episode 276, so well worth doing. Now, how can we help you? We have a product called HubSpot Quick Check, where if you need to understand, if you're coming out for renewal and you're saying, is this worth it? Am I using everything that's available in HubSpot? Am I running my processes efficiently, as we've been talking about? Am I using best practices? People often ask us that. So it's a 90-minute Zoom call with Craig and myself, and we will go through and give you an overview and really come away with three things that you can do with your HubSpot portal. You know, comment on this then, because um, we've been getting a couple of these Correct. a week now. You know, we've, uh, they, they're proven popular, but one of the scenarios, one of the use cases is for teams that have inherited yes. HubSpot. So they've come in, they're like, oh, Someone else set up HubSpot in our team years ago. They've left the company. We're the new marketing manager or marketing or sales team. What's this HubSpot? What's working? Is it use? This way, this quick check is really handy. We just kind of go through it, highlight a few things, and then they've got a few key priorities that just gets them using HubSpot even better. All right. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with a friend. And if you would like to get in contact with us, please subscribe to the show notes below. And then if you want to send an email back, you will get to hear from Craig. And if you want to connect with me, please connect with me on LinkedIn. Well, Craig, until next week. Catch you later, Ian. Hey there. Thanks for listening to this episode of HubShots. To get the latest show notes, HubSpot tips and resources, sign up at hubshots.com. You can also book time with us to help you grow better with HubSpot. 